Hey, hey, welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Armstrong. And by the way, trick or treat, smell my feet, give me something good to eat. Happy Halloween. I know. That's, uh, I sound like my kids. That's what a six year old does. Uh, hey, it's been a crazy. First of all, thank you for all the amazing feedback on Michael Morton. I was so proud of the way that conversation went. I loved my hour plus with him. Um, his brutal honesty and transparency was just mind blowing for me. Um, I pretty much left there and had like a crazy dream week for me. I'd never been uh, to Israel, always wanted to go. I had a group of friends that were going over for a week that invited Anna and I to go with them, which we were fortunate enough to go along. Um, all I can say, mine blown. You hear so much about the country of Israel and its people and obviously uh, conflict. You hear about religion. Um, and it, it was just such a, a neat experience to see it all up close firsthand. You know, we first landed in Tel Aviv, spent the night there at this really cool boutique hotel. And this can just serve as your little travel guide if you wanted to. But we stayed at the Norman Hotel, which was awesome. Um, the next day we got up and uh, they had rented a couple helicopters and, and we flew up uh, to the north of Israel. So we flew up to Mount Adir, um, a really touching war monument there. Mount Adir overlooks uh, the country of Lebanon, which is obviously at times a hostile environment. Um, from there, we drove over to Shvat, which is a, a, a beautiful old city, which is the uh, the birthplace and the home of Kabbalah, a form of Judaism, which you, most of you guys probably are aware of. Uh, and then drove over to the Golan Heights, another just incredible part of the country, drank uh, wine at some amazing wineries in the Golan Heights, and then ended up back in Jeru- Jerusalem for uh, for the night, which then led into another a uh, full day of activities, uh, touring all the holy sites, the city of David, the Western Wall, culminating with a visit of their Holocaust Museum, uh, the Yad Vashem, um, which, you know, I've been to a lot of museums and been to a lot of things that people say will touch you. Um, if you ever get to this part of the world and Israel, um, in Jerusalem, in particular, don't miss it. It's it's, but be prepared to be prepared for uh, a brutal story um, that that is unlike any other, and hopefully unlike anything that will ever happen again. But uh, really, really touching. You can't help but leave there a changed person. Um, yeah, heavy. Ended up heading south. We by the way, we basically saw the entire country. It's not a big country. This is a country the size of New Jersey, if that. Um, um, so we got around a lot and then ended up in the south of the country. And if any of you guys follow me on Instagram or Twitter, you would have seen some of these images. But um, there's a big crater down here called the Ramon Crater. And there's this really killer hotel called the Bereshit, um, B-E-R-E-S-H-E-E-T. And it's uh, right on the edge of the crater, and it's absolutely stunning, totally remote and dead silent. Uh, sunsets are amazing, and we mountain, ended up mountain biking down in, in the Ramon Crater one day, which, by the way, up to that point, that was the only bit of exercise I had gotten the entire time. I was going freaking crazy. Uh, and then from there, we, um, we went and spent two days uh, in Jordan. Uh, spent uh, spent a night in Amman, went down to Petra to see one of the most stunningly beautiful places. Just don't even listen to me. Just while you're listening, while you're listening, just 
pull up Google and type in Petra and look at images, you'll understand what I'm saying. Um, thank you to Martin Franklin uh, for taking us ultra generous um, trip of a lifetime. And, uh, and to the people of Israel, thank you for being so hospitable and kind and generous. And I cannot wait to go back. Onwards, so or I should say forward. Uh, as I say every week, any comments, send me an email. Uh, the forward podcast at we do sport.com. We do is W E D U. Sport is singular. I thought about it the other day. Why don't I just change it? Why don't I just say like Lance at we do sport.com or something where it's just easier for you. Anyways, for now, it's the forward podcast at we do sport.com. Send me any uh, comments, questions, concerns, whatever you got. We've been getting a lot of emails, so thank you all for that. Um, my guest this week, uh, sticking with uh, not the, not that this is a Texas Longhorn football podcast, but uh, a, few, a couple weeks ago, I was lucky enough to have um, Ricky Williams, the Heisman Trophy winner, um, football legend, on, and I've been playing tag a little bit with former coach Mac Brown. Uh, for months, he's been traveling a lot. Obviously, he's got his gig with ESPN ABC. Finally pinned him down. And so this week, I have Coach Brown in the studio. And and I have to say, I, I expected Coach is smart. Coach is political. Coach, you know, knows when to not say things and say other things. And, and he, I thought he was... Uh, I thought he was a little more direct, and uh, or d- more direct than I expected. And so I, it was it was cool to listen to him. He's a great man. He's a great husband. He's a great father. He's a great member of of this community here in Austin. He's a coaching legend. We won a national championship with him here, uh, and he's just fun to be around. I mean, this dude, you kind of walks into a room. You know, what it's like man. You get people that walk into a room, and you're like, ugh. Who just dimmed the lights? Uh, that isn't the case with Coach Brown. He comes in and and uh, he's just a pleasure to be around. And uh, it's, I, I'm honored to call him a friend and, and very appreciative of all of his support and, uh, and love over the years. So I hope you guys enjoy this. And uh, great week. Coach Brown, thank you for being here. Thank you, Lance. Yeah, Good to catch up. That's that's right. We're in 2016. I will, I will never forget. I met you. I might get the year off by one or two, but I met you. I believe in 1997 when you just came to Texas. 98. Was it the 98? Okay, it was. so it's the 98 season. We got here December 4th of 97. Correct. And so then we did. Uh, we did our annual fundraiser, the Ride for the Roses, and that year we did a gala around it. And you had just moved we actually lived close to each other a mutual neighbor of ours asked you if you'd come speak at the gala right and, and so we were nobody knew who i was or what the organization was about and and that's the first time i met you so this is it's been almost 20 years but it was just very kind of you to show up and you did and huffnats and huff bob ann and bob huffnats and and bob huffnats yeah I, Ask, I, I and you still, can't tell ann no so i mean it it uh, well, I knew that. I knew that. I knew that that, uh, <laughs> that if I needed you to say yes, I'd sick Ann on you. Absolutely. And we had dinner at her house. Yep. And I, I remember that night very well. We were talking about media. We were talking about how tough the media is in coverage right. of of uh, sports and, quote, celebrities, people yep. who are very visible in sports. Yep. And it was a fun night. Well, yeah, and that was in the late 90s. Yes. And 
the, <laughs> it has can, changed. It has changed. Yes, and it not has only changed. has the media in my, um, I mean, my perspective is that the media has just uh, grown because social media has obviously taken off. And so everybody's, everybody's covering something. And, well, I, and I, you I, and I are in the media now, right? Is that? Well, you are definitely in the media and I want to talk about that, but we, I guess this podcast is sort of. podcast is media. Right. Well, I have I have some very pointed, hard, difficult questions Good. that I would like for you to answer. Let's get going. You can't give the the typical Coach Brown political answer. These are tough questions. Well, some of these I can probably give that answer because I gave it for thirty years <laughs> as just, a head coach. Just so phone it, it, it was interesting when I when I went to ESPN. They said uh, I said, "Why don't you have more coaches?" They said, "Ah, coaches, they give all this coach speak and they won't give direct answers and." Uh, they're not going to be hard on their buddies, and it just doesn't work very well. So they have been a little surprised. I've been more candid than they thought I would. Yeah. Well, you have Lou Holtz. You have, obviously, Corso. You have those. Those are the – I mean, Corso's got that seat, which which is – I think he likes that seat. Oh, gosh, yes. That's a good seat for him. Yeah, I think 30 years of putting those mascot right. heads on, and it yeah, works. That's, all, that's what he does, and then he isolates half of his audience immediately. That's, that's like endorsing. He's like a, he's like a political candidate. Right, exactly. But what has it been like? Uh, I mean, for you, I can imagine, right? I mean, I, I can only imagine, I should say, the hours it takes. And I, you, know, you hear stories and and just having been your neighbor close enough over time, you see somebody's patterns. Uh, so the tremendous workload that it takes to coach. And, and, and even, this is a sidebar, but like you see Gary Kubiak, right? I mean, this is... This is here's a guy who had a mini stroke, uh, who you know was back working, and then last you know almost another incident out for the week. I mean that's that's not because he that's stress and that's the hours and that's the the toll that that job has taken on him. It is. We we often laughed and say coaches are uh, emotionally disturbed. There's no way with any anybody with any sense would put in the hours, be under the stress, and people talk about the money. Uh, the money has not made any difference. Yeah. You don't have enough time to spend it. Yeah. So I used to, Sally knew how much money we made. I never saw a check. So <laughs> I, I would just sit there and, and I mean, you start. And now with recruiting, with social media, right. it's year round. Yeah. You got a phone in your pocket, you're never off work. And, and I don't think the coaches feel the stress. They, they feel the stress of hours and hard work and making hard decisions and things that come up every day and the multitasking. Coaches don't sit around and think about being fired. Right. I mean, it's just not, it's not in their makeup. You never thought about losing. Right. And you put hours and countless hours. People can't imagine how many hours you spend on that bike or, or conditioning. They just they can't imagine. Mm-hmm. And no one understands the coaching world that's not in it, really not even your wife or the wives. So you feel like it's very lonely. You don't have a lot of friends because you're not sure who your friends are. Are they a friend because you're the head coach at Texas? Are they a friend because they want some tickets? Uh, are they a friend because it's popular when you're winning? And then when you lose, do they drop I was going to say, are they not your friend then? Fast. That's the it's trick, a, right? It's a, it's a trick, and it's really, really difficult. And it's a, it's a harsh reality and hard for you to balance and figure out. And then the other thing is moving. You'll get fired if you stay where you are if you don't lose, but if you move, you're a traitor. Yeah. So there's very difficult decisions as you go through your process in coaching and and you go through your journey of when I left North Carolina, I came to Texas largely because of Coach Royal because that was the coolest thing in my life to me. I went right. to coach where Daryl Royal coached. Right. I made a whole state mad. Yeah. And now you were, and tra- you were a trader. Some great friends 
turned on me and wouldn't speak to me for 15 years. It's been 19 years now, and, and a lot of those people now are welcoming me back. And I was going to say, <laughs> that, they forgot. I, I unfortunately know all too well what that's, what that's like. Yeah, but, uh, I, but I do think it's uh, the, the two and a half years I've been out, I was amazed that people actually go to movies in the fall, <laughs> that, that people play golf in the fall. Uh, I've been to a grocery store. I was never in a grocery store. I mean, I wouldn't have time to go grocery shopping. If I did, somebody would say, what about the quarterback? You got the wrong guy playing or something. So I'm, You went I'm to a grocery in, store in Austin. Oh, I, I did. Right. Yeah. Right. I've had fun. I, it would be interesting for you. I don't, maybe you didn't go to grocery stores, you know, five years, five, six years ago, but the, the different reaction for you just walking the, I don't know, the produce aisle. You know, because people, people in this town, anywhere in Texas, I guess, or anywhere in the South, football is just, it's like, is sacred. And uh, the coach, the head, it all stops with the head coach. I guess theoretically it should probably stop at the AD's uh, desk. But um, it would be interesting to, to, to have looked at both of those scenarios when people were not so happy with the way the program was going. Now today, I can imagine you walk into the produce aisle today and it's just high fives and hugs and kisses. People forgot we ever lost a game. Yeah. So they're much nicer now. But I do think it's, it's interesting that people would say, like with you, I didn't know you grocery shopped. Mm. Well, I don't grocery shop. Well, you that's, should. That's a, but, and I and I'm not I'm not talking about grocery shopping. I'm talking about picking up a few things for Sally on the way home right. that I never would have time to do. Or yeah. or you get up in the morning and say, "What am I going to do today?" Yeah. I mean, my schedule was etched in stone for a year. I saw, and this is totally unrelated. I mean, you mentioned it's not just about picking up a check, but I saw a tweet today from somebody, and I don't know if this is true or not. And I don't know why they tweeted it, but it was a it was a comparison. I guess um, the United States of America bought the state of Alaska in like 1867 from the Russians for 7.1 million dollars. Nick Saban is going to make 7.2 million this year, so he could have he could have bought Alaska, Alaska. That's a long time cool. ago. He, he could have done that. The lost Dodds came here for 75 thousand dollars. That was his salary as athletic director in 82 or whenever he came. And Coach Royal? Coach Royal made $25,000 when he came. Wow. And he told me he thought that was way too much. He was embarrassed wow. at the amount of money they gave him. So things are completely out of control yeah. now. I, one of the worst things I did was take the $5 million. My life was never the same, and, and I should have taken it because it helps my family now and uh, it, it allows our kids and grandkids to do some things we couldn't have done. But after I took that money, it was all about the money. If we lost a game, it, he's he's only won this many games, so we're paying him this much per win. Yep. I can't believe we're paying this guy this much compared to this. This guy's making more money than most people in the state that are. So it it, it all became about the money and got away from coaching. But I don't think, and I and, and I'm fascinated, and I talk a lot about this on this podcast. I'm fascinated with with the amount of money generated in college football with, you know, I, I consider kids that are playing for the love of the game, i.e. free. I mean, granted, they're getting an education, they're getting a scholarship, but relative to what they're generating, I don't know that those two things equal out. But I want to, you're talking about money and you're and we're talking about real dollars. I want to read, you, you heard this because you were there, but this was at the football banquet in 2013. And this guy, Don Evans, who I'd never met, He's he's the keynote speaker at at the um, at the football banquet. So he, he he's talking about you. I think you had re- stepped down. 
It so was the next day. It was the next day. There were some people wanting me to step down, and we were trying to decide whether we are going to stay or not. My great friend, Don Evans, who was the Secretary of Commerce for President Bush, right. and he was the chairman of the Board of Regents when I was hired in 98, yep. uh, wanted to come and speak at the banquet. So here, here's, I'm going to read in the, his entire keynote is here on uh, Burn Orange Nation, but he says, um, well, here's what happened since Mac Brown showed up. In 1997, the giving that year was $120 million. That's a lot of money. This past year, in 2013, the giving was $453, I'm, I'm getting this, yeah, $453 million. I think, yes, I am getting yes. $453. What does that mean? I'll tell you what that means. This, that means that more young men and women that need scholarships will get a scholarship. In 1997, the endowment at this university was $2.5 billion dollars. Today in 2013, it's more than nine billion dollars, and so I, I think he's. So, I wouldn't say taking a five million dollar salary was a mistake. I think you had a lot to do with that. Well, and I appreciate Don's message that night, and I appreciate your message today. And Joe Jamel, who was a tremendous friend of ours sure. that died last, uh, he represented December. you. He, he was our buddy and older brother, and like Coach Royal, they were both older brothers to me, and he did represent us and. He told me that football brought in $163 million last year. He said, I get 33% of every deal that I make as a lawyer. <laughs> so you're way underpaid, boy. You need to keep your mouth shut and ask for more money. So I like the way he looked at it, too. Yeah. And what was it? Because we went from, you went, I mean, I don't know, the 95% of the time you were you worked under DeLos Dodds, and then there was a change there as well with from DeLos to Patterson. Yes, DeLoss was there until probably middle of September, my 16th year. Yep. And then Steve came in in October. I can remember he came, the first game he came to was Oklahoma State, and we actually met him as an athletic department, the head coaches, that week. Right. And that was probably late October, early November. Yeah. And that just for the, you know, just it just didn't work out for the university or for for the boosters or for the university or for the board of regents or for the staff. I don't know, but it, that was a tumultuous time. It was. Steve was really nice to Sally and I, he and Yasmin, and um, I'm not sure why it didn't work. Right. I do know that following a legend like the Lost Dodds is really difficult. Right. And we were at a time where Steve and maybe Bill Powers uh, wanted a lot of changes. And change is hard after 32 years with the yeah. same guy when it's working. Uh, so I, I think that uh, probably Steve was put in a place where he was told to make some hard decisions, right. some of which he just wanted to change things. And and the people that I'm close to say that Steve made a lot of great changes. It's just that some of them were disruptive and it just didn't work and you made the wrong people mad. And when you make the wrong people mad, you're not still here. Right. It's interesting. I did a speech. This is probably a year ago. It wasn't, wasn't really a speech. It was more just a fireside chat uh, with the WPO. And I walk in. There's probably 200 people there of you know older Austin entrepreneurs, successful people. And Patterson was sitting in the front row. And he had, he had long been gone. And I'm thinking, what the hell is he doing here? <laughs> I mean, not that it was a bad thing. Yeah. I was just like, I was like, wow, that's Steve Patterson. I know. And, and like I said, Steve was great to me. Yeah. He he was, he never lied to me. I never distrusted him. He always said, what do you need? What do you want me to do? Yeah. Uh, he was not the reason we left. We were very comfortable with the loss after 16 years, but Steve wasn't the, the difference in staying or leaving. And um, 
I really hated for him and for Texas that it didn't work. It's interesting when you you know when you're talking to a room and you say you say things or you get into a um a story, you can see when people are understanding the story and they're not hooping and hollering, but they're just sort of nodding and and that's when you know they're 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 playing along or they're they're living it with you and he was and my obviously my story has plenty of the ups and downs and we I was just kind of rolling through it and he was uh, he, he was I think he was vibing with with you know some of the headwind that I've dealt with which obviously I know you know that story was was tough on him or his just his tenure here was tough on him and he had some he had it, it tough out in Seattle yeah uh, that was tough and and he grew up in the pro basketball business I think his dad was the general manager of the Rockets when he was very young right. and and uh, he was involved with building Reliant. Um, um, when he was looking at the the Texans and working for them, so he he did a lot of great things. But it again, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And this one just didn't work for him or for the university. And when you when you so when you left, I mean, we all have to think. I mean, you're you're a coach, right? You've coached. If you look at your bio on the internet, that it's just you know you were a player, a player, a player. By the way, I can't figure out how you played on so many different college teams. <laughs> I don't even know if we. Well, there were to. really just two, but it it was Vanderbilt and Florida Iowa, State. Da, 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 you know, those were all coaching. Okay, so then you coach, 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 and then you and then you don't, and then you're not a coach. I mean, you you must have. First of all, there must have been, you know, dozens of offers to go coach elsewhere. That it it's interesting. You really haven't stopped riding a bike. You've been able to extend it, but it's different. Right. I mean, I used to sit in there, uh, in our summers and pull for you in the mountains of of France every year, just fighting through every, every word and every minute. And there's a certain rush to that, I'm sure. So after 42 years in coaching and more in playing, I started playing in the fourth grade. Um, you wake up that one day and the first thing you do is you feel, uh, as you're leaving, you feel, uh, sad that you're letting so many people down. Yeah. I mean, there were, hundreds of people that worked in that athletic department for football. So their lives were going to change the minute I wasn't their coach. And, and there were a lot of, a lot of lives were changed. The second thing, and I'll never forget this You're you're getting ready for the press conference the next day. Cause they make you say goodbye. And you're really not sure what you're going to say. I was asked walking up those steps uh, or walking the steps to the elevator. What are you going to say? And I said, you know, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm going to say. Um, and then when you get there, it, you've done that. It, it's kind of surreal and certain thing. You probably ramble some if I go back and looked at it. But, um, you know, you want to say thank you and you want to say how much you appreciate how nice everybody was to you and, and your players and your coaches and your equipment manager and your trainers. And, I mean, it's just a, a life of 16 years that, that you put in 16 quality years from I got here at uh, – 45 and, and, and left at 59. So those are pretty good years of your life that you give to the University of Texas. And then I'll never forget, Lance, I got home that night. I woke up the next morning because I had told my assistant, Casey Johnson, clear the schedule right. for the spring. We were scheduled through June, and I said, I don't guess I'll do any of this anymore. I mean, the new coach will do those things right. if they're, they need to speak or whatever. And I'll never forget, I, I got up the next morning. And this was even before the bowl game. Um, and, and we started thinking about things are going to change now. Our lives are changed. So we went to the bowl game. We played Oregon, who was great. They were probably the best team in the country and lost their quarterback. And I was so lucky he got healthy for us so we could 
get sent out on a with a rear end kicking at the end. And then that was the morning it really hit us. We leave the bowl game. We drive home. Uh, it was in the Alamo Bowl, San Antonio. We drive home. We get up the next morning, and I told Sally, we have nothing to do the rest of our life. Right. What are we going to do? Yeah. What? And, I mean, that's pretty frightening. Yeah. Who are we? But you must have been thinking, I have to, or were you, I guess it's a question, were you thinking, I can't stop coaching, I, I, the, the, is, whether it's whether it's Indiana, I don't know who's calling. I know. But. You know what? We had some offers, and, and they were immediate. And I talked to a lot of the older guys, the Lloyd Cars, the John Coopers, and the guys who had uh, gotten out of coaching to see how they were doing. And I said, what do you do? Right. What's your day like? Yeah. Right. And I said, what did you do when you quit? How, how do I handle this? All of them said, take at least a year and don't do anything drastic in coaching till you've got a chance to back away and take a deep breath and make decisions. Don't make a decision today right. on what you're going to do for the next five years because you're tired and you're worn out. So we were sitting there and had yeah, calls. Yeah, so they say hang out with your family, play golf, That's go it. fishing, travel. Go go have a more normal life. So yeah. it was really interesting. We were sitting there, and there were people calling, saying, why don't you come help us? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm tired. Yep. Texas is a pretty cool job. It's hard to be out of here and be excited about somewhere else right now. So, right. so I said no, and I said no to all of them. And then John Skipper called from ABC ESPN and said uh, – um, I told you two or three years ago, if you ever quit coaching, I wanted you to work for me. So he said, why don't you come work for me? And here's how cool John Skipper was. He said, uh, and I'm not going to tell you what you're going to do. Don't worry about it. It'll be something that's significant. And we won't even talk about how much you're going to pay, get paid. I'll, I'll work all that out. Right. Go enjoy Sally for six months and we'll call you in June. Oh, what a relief. So it's about March and Sally says, so you haven't heard <laughs> anything from ESPN? I said, he said June. May, yep. still haven't heard anything, have you? And I Crickets. said, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I, I trust him. Uh, June 15th, I'll never forget it. They call and said, why don't you come up to ESPN with Sally next week and let's sit down let's work all this out. I walk in. The first thing he says, listen, one of our best shows is ABC's Countdown to Kickoff, and we want you to be on it with John Saunders. And I said, really? Wow. He said, yeah. I said, well, is there any training or anything? He said, no, nah, you'll be great. Right. Just act like you're in a barbershop talking to the guys. And but you still get a rush. I mean, I would be. It's good. I mean, I get a rush before you and I talk or yeah. anybody. I sit down with anybody on this thing. Like, you you know, I mean, I've been on college game day trying to do the picks of the week, and I get nervous. Like, no. Oh. Well, and, and the cool thing for me is I had a couple offers last year in football, and I'm not going to go back unless it excites me. I don't have to go back. And all these guys said, if you did enough, that you're satisfied and you don't have to coach, don't coach. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm not calling every job that comes open. I had somebody call me this morning and say, would you be interested in this job? And I said, no, I'm this not. This is a perfect place to tell us about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, just... but I, I'm also. What about as athletic director? Um, I, I think the same thing. I, I'm not searching anything. Okay. Because I'm happy with ESPN ABC and I'm having fun. I'm still around the game. I'm talking to coaches. And, and by the way, you're good at it. I'm, thank I'm not you. just kissing your ass. I'm, like, I'm I, having fun. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. that's, and that's, you don't, you know, you want somebody that's clearly knows what they're talking about, enthusiastic, you know, not just out there going, oh my God, I have yeah. to be here and, you know, this game sucks and what am I talking about? I mean, but, you know, that's a hard job too. Like some <laughs> random, I mean, I watched you the other day. There was, uh, was it Louisville and, 
Duke. And I'm like, how, he's having to study like the backup safety at Duke, <laughs> it's true. which is a basketball school. It's true. This like, this week I've got like, South Florida. Who, at I, I would have been screwing up everything. No. And then you go west and the Polynesian names get involved. And for a boy from Cookville, Tennessee, that's exciting Uh-oh. when you're going uh, Palawulunutu. And they're sent, no, 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 no. So I call them MJ and PT, and you know I, I can get that way. But I, the, the advice I got was so good. They said, if you get a call and it really excites you yeah. about a job, go talk. Yeah, well, you'll know. And if you get a call that's not going to, don't even look or spend your time. So last year, I talked to a couple of teams, and Sally could tell when we walked out. She said, you weren't into it, were you? And I said, mm. no, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it's not going to do that. But if, and I don't, so people have asked me, agents have called and said, what would excite you? And I said, I don't know. I haven't. I don't have a list. I didn't sit down and say, I want this guy's job. That's just not my personality. Yeah, so I mean, you guys. I mean, you. I mean, you're in a good space. So it seems. I mean, I am. I'm. Yeah. I'm doing good. Yeah, you're gonna have to have a better offer. Right? I mean, like, I don't That's know. Right. I can imagine your life. Like, I don't know. The what's existing today is pretty damn good. So the better offer, you know, if it's, uh, you know, yeah. Sally know, always says, I, I got the in, most envious job of ever male in America that watches football. You sit and watch football all day and have comments. I mean, how do you beat that? Right. <laughs> have opinions. And, and as you told us earlier, when your wife decides to move, you get to go stay in a hotel and she does all the moving and you I'm say, good. let me know when I'm moving in. I'm good. That's why we get along. She does her deal and I do mine. We don't cross over. I, I played golf the other day and I I don't know if I'm getting old. And for the whole day today, I was like, who told me this story? And I still can't remember who told me the story, which is scary. I was playing golf with this guy. I love play golf, as, as you know, and as do you. And I told him that you were coming on the podcast and, and he said, I, I, we talked about it and he said, um, he said, I saw an interview with Mac once where somebody asked him, what was the worst day of his coaching career at Texas, but probably forever. And you would think, you know, losing OU or losing the national championship or I don't know, something. And your answer was the Ann bonfire. Lose, lose, yeah. Losing those kids. I mean, that, and it's 12 kids. I, yeah, I never, you know, just when he told me that, I was like, wow. The two things I remember specifically about coaching at Texas that bothered me, and one was the bonfire, mm-hmm. and we still had the game, which I thought maybe we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. And every Thanksgiving, Lance, you got kids, I got kids, I got grandkids, every Thanksgiving, I think of those 12 sets of parents that lost their kids at some harmless bonfire one night where they were having fun and right. – in the spirit of the game, getting ready, it just it, it eats me up every year. And I remember stopping on the side of the road when I heard it and started crying and called Sally because that's what you do. And I said, did you hear this? These kids are dead. Yeah. What do we do? And she she was much more together than I was. She said, well, we can't do anything except feel sorry and pray for the parents of the ones that are lost. But there are a lot of kids that need blood, so let's start a blood drive. I, I, I have that noted here, yeah. which that people don't. Maybe, I mean, I don't think people remember that. I think that's so noble to say, you know, what can we do in our community? Like, there, you know, College Station isn't that far away. It's 110 miles. And, uh, you know, the fact that you guys do things like that, I think, is. But you know what got me? Is I sat there and they said, if, you're, if your child's at A&M and you want to know that they're safe, call this hotline. Then they came right back on the phone and said, the phones are overloaded. There's no way that you can get to your children. God. through this line and find out which of the kids are lost. And the communication, even 99, there was communication, but not as... Not like it is now. Not, not like it is now. And, and, and I then, thought, so that drive, that it's hour, like a lottery. 10 minute drive, 
not knowing whether your child's in that bonfire or not. Right. I mean, come on. That, that's just. And the other one was losing Cole Pittman. Yep. Those were the two that I remember vividly that I had to make some hard decisions, especially right. with Cole and trying to figure Cole out. Cole was killed in a car crash. Car crash coming, coming back. back. Right. The day before spring practice, we had a team meeting. Uh, and the, the most awful thing that happened, and I, I learned so much about people's lives that in that tragedy because he, number one, the highway patrol called me from East Texas and said, um, we have a young man that's dead. We can't find any identification except he has a cotton bowl ring with the name Cole Pittman on it. Could you oh. please send us a picture for identification? So I got our SID to send a picture, and, of course, they called right back and said, Coach, this is your player. He's he's lost his life, and we need you to call his parents. Oh. And I said, how do you call the parents? Well, they I got a counselor, and they advised me to get the high school coach there and the minister there and have them meet at the house when you're going to call. And I told the parents, and they said, don't say he's dead. Say we've lost him. The counselor advised that. Yes. Yep. So I get on the phone with the dad, and he said, what's wrong? There's people here. And I said, well, we've lost Cole. And he said, what do you mean? Where, did he take a wrong turn or did he? And I said, no, Mark, he's, we've just lost him. He's, he's, he's gone. And he said, what do you mean he's gone? And I said, Mark, he's dead. He had a car wreck and he's gone. And he just went ballistic as you would figure. And they had to get him and hold him down. And, and then he, he called back later that night and he said, well, I need you to speak at the funeral. And I'll never forget this. I said, I can't do that. I'm not tough enough to speak mm, no, at that funeral. No, you couldn't. And he said, I couldn't. I'm his father, and I'm going to speak at the funeral so you can speak too. Mm. And I've got that CD of what I said in my office at home today, and I've never looked at it. And I don't remember what I said. And everybody said it was okay. And then I remember we, um, we had a memorial for all the athletes on campus after that when we got back. And DeLos Dodds was a superhero. He got planes, and we flew every kid that wanted to go to the funeral, to the funeral. And, and we called the NCAA and said, basically said, we're going to do this. If you want to hit us for it, that's fine, but we're going to do it right. if it's illegal or not because this is something that we need to do for healing here. Yeah. And I'll never forget, I got up that morning. We were having uh, the memorial with 1,600 student athletes, and uh, Cole's mom and dad and his brother were coming, and I had to speak, and Mark was going to speak. Well, the first thing I saw was Coach Royal had lost two children. And... Mark Pittman's walking across the the stage, and Coach Roll comes up to him. And Coach Roll, you knew very well, he didn't say much about his children. And he walked up to Mark, and he said, Buddy, most people will tell you, I know how you feel. They don't. I do know how you feel. I lost two kids, and God shouldn't have anybody lose two kids. And they both just start crying. Well, obviously, I start crying. But I'll never forget that morning I got up, and Sally said, Are you okay? And I said, No. I said, I, I, This is an awful day to be the head football coach at the University of Texas. And once again, she said, no, this is a great day to be the head football coach at the University of Texas because you've got to go put some sense into this, not only for the Pittman family, not only for families across the country who have lost young ones, but for those 1,600 kids that you're going to be talking to today. And she was really right. Yeah, I had to grow up. I'm sure you did great. I, I think it worked out well. You think? Yeah, I'm sure. But Again, I don't remember a lot of it. I wonder if you'll ever go listen to that. It'd be hard to listen to. It will. I don't think I will. I don't think. I, yeah, you'd be grading yourself. Yeah. You'd be, you'd be put back into that. First of all, I couldn't 
you'd have to just mop me off the stage. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get through that. I just couldn't. I'm too, too emotional like that. And you know, I'm a different person now than I was then. So you don't even know what you would say today. I'm sure I would handle it better today than I did then. But a lot has happened in my life since early 2001. And even uh, people say your personality is different as a coach than it was. I mean, as a as a TV personality and being out of coaching than it was in coaching. And I said, well, probably wasn't very much fun to be around after a loss. And the loss said you weren't fun to be around after a win because it was never good enough. Right. Said you were just a jerk. In the fall, he said, we loved you in the spring. but And then somebody this morning said, you know, your personality is so much better now. And I said, well, I got a little more free time. to I can sleep at night, and I actually eat some food. And right. There's some things happening that didn't happen You have a there, social but... life, too. You get, you get, <laughs> I have a social you life. Know, you can hey, actually have some This guy has fun. a life. I guess well, I, I can almost speak to that. Yes, and every time you said anything in the media, or I said anything in the media, they would take it and run with it. Yeah. So you get very guarded. Yeah. Now I can say anything I want. I can actually have opinions. Right. It's amazing what opinions do when they're yours and you can have them. They don't pay you as good for opinions as they do decisions, but it's <laughs> fun having opinions. Opinions versus decisions, uh, less money versus more money. You're, you're gonna, we're not worried about But we're going to sleep Brown. good. We're going to yeah. sleep good. We're okay. Yeah. yeah. The, so those, are the, those were the two toughest times. What was, and I want to talk about the University of Texas, what, what was, what was the best memory. I mean, I think most people are going to say, obviously, the, the national championship at the Rose Bowl, Vince Young, I was there, which was, which was just one of, the, one of the coolest days of my life. But is that the, the, the highlight of your career here? I think before that was Ricky Williams winning the Heisman. Because hmm. the year before, the team was 4-7. and seven. We come in here, and Ricky's thinking about leaving, and he decides to stay. Yep. And that's, a, that's another day-and-a-half story that we won't even get into. But he, he decided to stay, and he turned down multi-millions of dollars to stay. So there's pressure in my mind that we need to make this work for him, too. And then we start out, I think, one and two. That's when our friend Matthew came in for the Rice game, and I knew enough about Matthew to know he did that movie, A Time to Kill. And can we get him out here? <laughs> yeah. Because it's a time to kill yeah. I, heard, I heard he went here to yeah. college here. Yeah. So I said, Bill Little, can you get a hold of Matthew and – See if he likes football and see if he'll come out and talk to our team about a time to kill. Because if we don't beat Rice, they're going to kill me. Right. And and we need to get, get this thing turned. So, of course, Matthew came out and talked for an hour and a half. And Nothing about, about a time to kill. No, no, no. no. It was about the stage man, the lighting, and this guy has to be with that guy. And I, and I thought, God, they quit listening about 30 minutes ago, Matthew. But but <laughs> but, but it, he was he was the coach now. He was all over him in, in the thing. No, he thinks but he's a coach. He he does. The no, We Are does. Marshall was his real right. That that was his personality coming yeah. out. But but that was a wonderful moment to to stand there at at the the Heisman with Ricky Williams. Yeah, and Ricky was on the podcast recently, and and we and he and I talked about this because I I think well I think most people in Austin and most people in the state think that you recruited Ricky Williams, and and and, to, and I thought that. Until I went and researched Ricky and realized he was a, a senior. Yeah, no, he he. We he, recruited him, but it he, was to stay. Right. Yeah, J- John Makovic recruited him. He did from San Diego. He shows up and he talks about how he literally thought there were going to be like tumbleweeds like rolling across the airport <laughs> runway. And Steve Bernstein and Bucky he, Godball. And he meets Earl Campbell. He didn't even know who Earl Campbell was. No. He's Ricky, like, yeah, they they introduced me to this guy Earl Campbell. Ricky wasn't a football fan. Yeah. And so then, uh, but then we started. But then, as I was researching him, I realized that he was gone, right? And and somehow you come in here and convince him to stay. 
I mean, that's you got a young kid, millions of bucks hanging out there. New guy comes in and goes, "Hey, why don't you hang around?" But it was really interesting that he had the dreads at that time, and I had a rule at North Carolina. This was '98 that you couldn't have dreads, and uh. he he ran into all my buddies, all our players at the ESPN Awards, the All American Banquet, and he came home. He said, uh, "So I hear that you won't you you like me, but you won't like this on my head." And I said. Uh, by the way, you would not coach one player today if that was the rule. Oh, no. No, no, no. It's changed a little bit since then. <laughs> yeah. And I said, no, I, I don't like it or dislike it, but my job is to try to help you get a job when you get out of here. Yeah. And there's a lot of old white people that are going to have jobs that aren't going to hire you with dreads. And this was in 98. And he said, I'm never going to need a job. I'm going to play pro football. <laughs> hmm. That's a good point. And then I'll never forget Greg Davis walked by and said, Watch the video before you make a decision. He's really good. <laughs> and then Sally said, I love your hair. Yeah. I think it looks so good. So I said, okay, give me reasons for you to keep your hair. It's religious. It's Give me something. He said, no, I like Bob Marley music. He said, that's the only reason I wear my hair like Bob Marley. And I said, oh, okay. So he finally came in and said, I'll stay if you let me keep my hair. That was it. <laughs> I'm going to leave if you don't. And I said, okay. I'll let you keep your hair. But I said, but you may not win the Heisman Trophy because you've got that hair. And he said, what you're going to learn, Coach, and what those voters need to learn is that it's about what's in here. It's not about what's up here. And if they don't want to look past my hair to see whether I need to win the Heisman Trophy or not, then I don't want to win the Heisman right. Trophy. And he said, you need to learn from this, Coach. And I said, I, I got it, and I did. And then we had another player come in. I won't say his name. And he said, Okay, you're letting Ricky wear his dreads. Can I wear mine? I said, no. You're not going to win the Heisman. You're not going to play in the pros. You're going to need a job. So you can't wear your hair that So way. let me go ahead and cut those off for yeah. you. Yeah, so I had Ricky with dreads and nobody else. <laughs> now he laughs at me since he's bald-headed and he has no dreads. Ricky. Yes. Yeah, I, I was I was trying to get a close look at the at – the, if, if, yeah, I think it's – I think there's hair there, but it's not as it's thick. There's not much. Not as thick as it once no. was. Or I asked him, I said, we're, we're like, I don't know, like – where is the Heisman Trophy? Like, is it in your closet? Is it on the, your desk? Is it probably like, oh, mom? It's, yeah, it's yeah, it's all on the mantle over at the other house. Yeah. I was like, like, because if it was my house, I told him it was like my kids would have crap hanging on it. Like there would be just <laughs> just stickers would be on it. There'd probably be some sharpie marks on it. I'm like, my kids mark on everything. Yes. Well, the other thing he said, which was really interesting, which relates to why he was good at what he did, he said, "I will stay if you'll promise me that you'll be really hard on this team." And have great discipline so we can win. I do not want to leave this university four and seven. Right. And he would come to me and say, Coach, we got some guys that are messing up. We need to fix it. Huh. And the so, end of the year, that, that year with him, you ended? We ended nine and three. He won the Heisman, and we um, we beat A&M. He broke the national rushing record, and we beat Mississippi State with Jackie Sherrill in the Cotton Bowl. So yeah. for Texas fans at that time. That was success. Yeah, nine was great then. It's not so good anymore. Right. <laughs> but it was it was great to start with. Um, would you say that he's the greatest player you ever coached? I just, I want to, I want to, I mean, I can, I can, I can guess on one hand, you know, five guys, but it, was he, was Vince Young the greatest player you ever coached? Was it Ricky? Was it somebody else? You know, I'm, it's probably coach speak, but I've been really careful because they're all so different and all so unique and did different things for different teams. And I've never chosen. Okay. I've been very careful with that because Vince Young on his team. Right 
was the greatest player. Well, you watched it. I mean, we all watched it in, in L.A. Ricky put the Heisman Trophy insignia on every ring, cotton bowl ring of every kid that year because that was a team goal. Yeah. And we made it a team goal. And then you start going to Cedric Benson and you start going to a bunch of the 10, 15 kids at North Carolina and yep. Derek Johnson and they're just Arakpo and right. there, there's a bunch of those guys. And then, okay, then who was the greatest player you ever had to coach against? In your mind, I mean, you just just gave you fits, or you you just. I would say Adrian Peterson. Yeah, we couldn't stop the sucker. Hmm. We were leaving the field when they beat us twelve to nothing. Vince's redshirt freshman year, and I think he had two hundred twelve yards at halftime. Oh. And Lynn Swan said, "You're going to have to tackle him." And I said, "No, nobody tackles him." I watched six game films, and nobody tackles him. He is a great player. He's not a good player. Yeah. You try to slow him down, but you're not going to stop him. Yeah. Uh, but he 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 dominated games more than anybody I've ever seen. And of all the coaches you coached against, who was the one you respected the most? I would say probably Bill Snyder. Hmm, interesting. Because he could take less and do more with it than anybody else I was ever around. And when I got through coaching, he invited me to come and speak at his clinic, his high school clinic, and I went out and watched him practice, and I could see why. But his attention to detail. Uh, their ability to take theirs and beat yours by allowing you to beat yourself and by them to take care of the ball and not turn it over and make you go the distance and make you be patient. Yeah. All those things really impressed me about him. And it's it's the same way today. That's just the way he is. Hmm. And he's 77 years old. I was going to say, old. he did it a long time. He he still, is he still doing it? I should he, know this. He is. He was in, inducted in the Hall of Fame last year. And after 75, you can be inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame while you're coaching. But he, he will coach against Texas this weekend on Saturday at 11 o'clock in Manhattan, Kansas. Wow. And will Texas win that game? I, I would think they would, would, but I didn't win many in Kansas. Is so. it tough to watch? Do you, have to, do you have to call Texas games? Have you called a Texas game? No. Um, I'm asked to comment on them. Right. But I haven't called any of them yet because I'm only calling Friday night games and Texas doesn't normally play on Friday night. Yeah. I always wonder, you know, you watch Aikman comment on the Cowboys. I'm like, at some point he's going to show some, and I think Aikman's great. I mean, he's, he's going to show some favoritism. It's his team. He won a bunch of, and he's, he's very careful. Boy, is he careful. He is. I coached Troy. I coached him at Oklahoma and he's a great friend. I love him. He's as good he's, a human being as yeah. there is out there. And I, I love him as a commentator, too. I can sit and just listen to him, not watch the game, and I'd feel good about it. But I was listening to him Sunday, and they said, so we need your comments on Dak exactly. Prescott. Does right. he come back? Does he? Does Tro Romo come back in? And I thought, mm, well, that's tough. you got to live with these folks. And Yeah, but he, he made the call. Or he made he <laughs> made, he made, he made, he made a decision. He did. So he, he's good. By the way. And I talk about the Cowboys every week on this podcast, and I talk about Jerry Jones. I tried to get Jerry Jones on the podcast the other day. He was flying to Green Bay. I'm not going to talk about it this week. <laughs> Although now I find myself – I don't know if it's if it's because of Dak Prescott or Ezekiel Elliott. It's just – I don't know. I'm like, okay, this is cool. I don't know. It's just, it just – It does send a message to us that you have two superstars out and your team pulls together and they're playing really well. And the team is about the whole, not about the guys. Yeah. And you know what I found interesting about Dak Prescott? I did not uh, realize this until I heard it the other day, was that he was projected to go a lot higher. And he was, you know, he was sought out. I mean, he was he was one of these guys that 
that the teams wanted. And he got a DWI just before the draft, and he went from sort of late first round, early second round down to the – He did. Because of that – I mean, so I think it's a real lesson for these young kids, you know, on the eve of something so significant and important for them and their families, that just something like that, just a character, what could be conce- – I mean, look, it's a mistake, right? Um, that had such a significant impact on, on where he went. Well, and and in truth, probably after that, there's a lot less chance that he'll get in trouble again. That's right. Than before. So, in in some ways, it's a blessing that it woke him up and make sure he doesn't do it again. Yeah. And you coached against Sam Bradford. Coached against Sam Bradford. We had the great game in '08. Right. Sam's a a super person. He's Sweet smart. Guy. Great guy. He, Colt McCoy, and Tim Tebow were all up for the Heisman that year. So I've spent two days with those three in New York at the Heisman. And we had the game in 08 where they were number one. I think we were fifth. And we beat them 45-35. And the tiebreaker got us, and they got to win the conference championship mm-hmm. at the end of the game. But that's one of the best games I was ever involved with. Yeah. And he's got – it's just amazing what you've been just thinking about a, a player's journey and ending up on a team like the Vikings that is now arguably the best team in, in all of football. And I, Philadelphia I, didn't want him. No, they didn't want him. him I love these work. stories. I love him. He's such a nice guy. He's like a scratch golfer, too. And he's he like, is. now he's on what we think is the best team in football. I'm like, you got to want to. I mean, I, I cheer for that. Like, I want. I got Adrian Peterson. I mean, who yeah. knows? Yeah. Here's a random question. And, and uh, I, I don't even know what to make of this situation because there's always there's always that truth and this truth and then there's the truth. But do you think. You think Art Bryles will coach again? But you know, I don't know that that report mm. is private. For now. For now. And I would think probably through legal issues, at some point it will be public. And I would think that people would want to see that report. Art yeah. and I are good friends. Yeah. And he obviously feels like he was wronged just by what he said. I haven't talked to him about it. It wasn't my place. But... When something like that comes up, especially with uh, abuse of women mm-hmm. uh, in modern-day society, it is a huge issue. Yep. So he is coaching now as a consultant with the Browns. They hired him this week. RG3 is up there, so I'm sure that's part of this. He is uh, saying weekly that he wants to coach again. He's a tremendous coach, obviously. Um, so I think a lot of it will deter- be determined by what that report says. Right. And, well, in— that report can change everything. It feels to me that if you had to uh, take a poll, you know, I, I don't, I think he's, his numbers are more favorable than most people would suspect. Now a report like that, certainly I, I can speak to this, but a report like that can change your poll numbers pretty quickly. Yes. Um, but so, here's what I would say too. There's so many things in your life because I've known you for a long time that people perceive that aren't true. And you don't. You're, you're talking a, about my life, your life, right? And my life, as a coach. Yep. And you can't answer for yourself. Yep. You you don't have a voice. And when you're sitting there as the coach, I'll talk about me, the coach at the University of Texas. And when something is totally wrong, that's being said. At one point, you think, well, maybe I can explain it. Well, it's it's already wrong. Yeah. So they're not going to let you explain it. Right. And if you do, they're going to beat you up for trying to explain it and trying to cover yourself and, and do this. So I think that's one of the problems that Art's in right now 
nobody has all the information. Yep. And when you don't, you had the information about your life and your team. I had the information about my life and my team, but I had no way to get it out mm. without it looking like I was trying to cover up something or um, I was being sensitive and, right. and fighting back. And, and then those perceptions, <coughs> excuse me, that hit publicly first are the only things people see. They never see the the retraction anyway. They never say, well, I was wrong in this story. I'm going to rewrite it. So I I do think one of the things that I I can do now, I have more freedom with my new job with ESPN and ABC. If if I don't like the way something was said or if something's said about me that's not true, I can say, that's not true. Let me tell you why that's not true. And I don't like it. I don't appreciate it. I couldn't do that as a coach. Yeah. So this I did an interview recently that was that really did not go well. And I got I'm sort of prepared to answer at this point in my life, I'm prepared to answer really anything. I mean, it's all there. And and these were things that were coming from complete different directions that were just not true. And so I found myself trying to trying to refute this or trying to 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 answer this and, and trying to what it to quote unquote be honest about it when the answer was no. And so in my own mind, I'm thinking, and this may or may not have something to do with what you just said, and in my own mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is the honest to God's truth, but nobody believes me. Like, it was weird. I'm like, I, I, I sound like such a schmuck because everybody's going, this guy wasn't honest with us about many things for a long, long time, and now I don't think he's being honest either, like, or, or it, uh, still, and I'm like... It was such a struggle for me, and, I, and it was just so frustrating. Frustrating for everybody, for the for me, for the interviewer, for the audience, and it was. It it does relate to me on a, on a very minor scale. I got abused for not recruiting fifty seven different quarterbacks. Anybody who was from Texas or from the South that played anywhere when we were struggling, I should have recruited him. I turned him down. Ninety nine percent of which was not true. And I mean every day. Oh, Mac turned down Manziel. Johnny Manziel. We, Mac I, I knew who you were talking Turner. about. Mac turned down Jameis Winston. I never met Jameis Winston. Right. Never even talked to him. In fact, I had my brother who worked at UAB with the high school coach call him and say, is Jameis, would he be interested in us? He said, no, absolutely not. He, he's, he's not coming. He's already decided. He's going to Florida State or Alabama. You're out. Don't even, <laughs> don't even call. It's, it's right. a waste of time. Save your data. Save your data. Save your time. And, and I mean, some I never even heard of I got responsibility for. And I thought, nobody else in the state recruited them either. Am I the only guy that was stupid enough not to recruit these guys? Or um, Baker Mayfield. Yep. Nobody recruited Baker at, at a Power 5 school. We tried to get him in school. It didn't work out because we were having all the political issues about admissions at the University of Texas. I'd love to have him. He's, he's a great player. Um but I didn't recruit Baker Mayfield. So he walks on at tech and ends up being the starter at Oklahoma and up for the Heisman. So I, and I I really got so frustrated with it. I started to say, are we just having fun here? Just picking out names that we've never known and labeling them to Mac or, or, um, Will Muschamp said at halftime of an A&M Florida game that Manziel, we were going to play him at safety at Texas. If we recruit him at, it's not true. Will liked him as an athlete. We we're going to play him at quarterback. We just didn't recruit him. So then, but Johnny Football wanted to come to Texas. He did. I mean, I've heard this. I don't know if he yeah. truly has a, a Longhorn tattooed on his back. He t- that's 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 just huh? that's he, the he hard does. to believe. But it but just I'm, didn't work out at that time. 
for for a lot of different reasons. For a and, character, and, I mean, you guys. I mean, sure. Well, and you you, you always research these things. You know you about these. Yeah, you do. And and the other thing is, you never ever not just Johnny, but you never want to hurt any of these young people, so you don't get into every little reason you didn't recruit one mm. because some of it's personal and private. And even with RG three, he wanted to start. Colt McCoy was our quarterback. He wasn't going to start. Right. So he went with Art Browse to Houston. And then Houston, Art leaves and goes to Baylor. He goes from Houston to Baylor without ever getting to Houston because he committed to him over there. So I do understand that. And as minor as that could be, your family has to listen to it. Your wife has to listen to it. Your children. Your And everywhere you go, oh, yeah, he didn't recruit him. Yep. He didn't recruit him. And you, there's no answer for it because... You can't take the time and energy yep. to sit down, and nobody really cares anyway. It's a, it's kind of a joke. Right. And Twitter and uh, Twitter's made it worse. Of course, it made it. Uh, it's, it's I love Twitter, but all uh, the social media gets yeah. out there faster, and it's just a joke. So people I've never heard of have me not recruiting quarterbacks I've never heard of. Yeah, and I want to say it's not worth it. Right, just let it go. Yeah, yeah. If 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 Charlie Strong goes six and six and doesn't go to a bowl game, is he back? I don't have any idea. Well, you know, I know we nobody no. has an idea, but no, I really, I really. Don't I think know. The, I mean the, the the consensus is no that he would not. I and think, I, and I, I'm not trying to make a a, a, a judgment. I'm just, yeah. I mean, it's just a. I think that uh, Mike Perrin and Greg Finvis, the athletic director and president of the University of Texas, from what I know, really like him, yep. and they're really pulling for him. Yeah, I don't. I haven't asked him. I haven't been here. I've been in North Carolina. Most of the fall, and I, I don't think they have a number. I think they want to see progress, and I think they want to see a well-coached football team. Yep. And I really think that's all they're doing right yep. now. And and uh, obviously there was some improvement against Oklahoma. They, they beat Iowa State, so I think that's what they want to see. And I'm not I'm speaking for them, but I'm not because they haven't told me that. Right. But just from what I hear and what I see, and and one of the things that you you learn is you've got so many big boosters in this state that are very involved with the University of Texas that are billionaires. You don't know which ones are for and which ones are against and which ones will give more money to the university or pull some out. Or So those things are always really yeah, tough and for presidents culture, and athletic yeah, that, directors. As the coach, and I mean, that culture with the boosters and the pressure and the, their, tough. Yeah, their ability to influence those decisions based on just what they want. Without naming any names, I mean that's that's got to be a tough. That's tough. The lands political landscape, uh, money landscape. Yeah, and part of that is you're not really sure who they are. Mm. Are they your friends? Are they not? They're your friends when they're with you, and then they leave, and all that's of a sudden they're talking about bullshit. how. Don't you just? So you're not you're not really sure who they are. Let's talk about the let's talk about the national championship. Let's close with that because I was I was fortunate enough to be there um, with Matthew and. We got down on the field after the game. First of all, the game, I mean, the, the, arguably the game of the century. And we get down on the field, and you asked us, Matthew and I, to come into the locker room for the for your you know, your final speech to the team, which was amazing. Before before we went in there, I remember Leinert and Reggie Bush coming over to congratulate you and which BY. so cool. So cool. I thought, first of all, holy shit, these two – what are they doing here? <laughs> Secondly, Reggie Bush was had taken off his shoulder pads and was wearing like a dry fit or you know some sort of you know his undershirt. He's ripped pretty good. I never, <laughs> I've never seen a an athlete look like that. No, he was ripped really good, dude. 
Yeah. That was the most ripped person I have ever seen in my life. I was like, how does this guy ever lose? I mean, I how do you stop this guy? He was like a Greek Adonis. Like, he was so yoked. Wow. But then we go in, and, and, and I remember you said to the guys, you said, don't make this the best day of your life. You know, you, you're, you're sitting there in that game, and you're, I'm 54 years old, and you're, you've spent your whole life trying to get to this game. As a player, as a coach, this is the game you want to get to. And then it doesn't do you any good to lose. Right. So, number one, what do you tell them? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, got a couple hours here, boys. That's right. kind of important, you know. Right. Um, and then they play the game. They fight their guts out. But with nine minutes and 42 seconds left, they go up by 12. We have um, Terrell Brown and Michael Griffin get hurt. They're out of the game. We got backups in the secondary. So I'm not thinking about a congratulations speech at that point in my life. I'm yeah. thinking about how we get back in this thing. And well, the energy in the stadium. I mean, I know you were down there thinking, how are we going to, yeah. how are we going to turn this around? I mean, the energy in the stadium. It was, it was over. It was dead. It was over. Like we, we were like, okay, well, yeah, we came and we lost. And we have a saying in in sports that you can't sack the bats too soon. And SC probably felt the same way, so they sacked the bats a little bit too soon, and old Vince kept coming back, and then Vince ran up down the sideline and told the defense, you get one more stop, we win this game. So they get the stop. He actually told them that. He did. He said, "You got them together, pointed his finger at them. You get one stop, we win this game. And everybody criticized Pete Carroll for going for fourth and one instead of punting. He knew he wasn't going to stop Vince. So his chance was to give Lindell White the ball because we hadn't stopped him all night. And we just happened, we had all of them went after Lindell right. and we hit him in the backfield and stopped him. And then we go down and score. And I'll never forget, I was so proud of Vince that, I mean, that's a pretty big moment in Texas history and in football history. And he takes the ball. He first does this in the crowd, then hands it to the official. And they all go back and huddle to get ready to go for two. They didn't spike it. They didn't get a 15-yard penalty that makes us kick off from back at the 20, which kills us and gives them a short field goal opportunity. They knew we were up by one, so they handled the whole moment. Mm -hmm. And then after the game, you're it's kind of surreal, and you're, you're seeing the eyes of Texas. You go stand in the middle of the field, and you got your wife there, you got your players there, you got your captains there, and John Saunders, who we just lost this year, that I love dearly. It's just a... Such a surprise. Oh, such a surprise. and What an awful loss. But he hands me the ball, and I'm thinking, you know, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And then you... You've never been there before. Never been there before. No. And you don't know how you're going to act when you get there. Yeah. And then you hand it to the kids. And, of course, Vince is holding it up and pitching it up down. I could have broken it. And I'll never forget. I said, go get Coach Royal to Bill Little. I want him out here with me. And Coach Royal said, nah, this is Max moment. I, I don't want to be out there. Huh. And then we're walking by the 18-wheeler the where they do all the equipment going into the dressing room. I don't think I've even ever told him about this. Miss Edith Royal is up on a ladder. She's got it easy, adhesive tape. They had a big three national championships on there. She's putting four oh, wow. over it, which was so cool. So then you get in the dressing room. I got my mother in there. It's her birthday on January 4th. I got all you guys in there. There's Rex Lynn. There's Roger Clemens. There's And then they say, hey, you got two guys want to speak to you here. And I walk over, and it's Leonard and Bush. Yep. And Matt and Reggie say, Coach, we didn't get a chance to see you because it was crazy out there. What a great game. Congratulations. We just didn't want you to leave without us acknowledging that you, you you got such a great team. That's so classy. And even in the 
and all the chaos in the middle of the field, Pete Carroll finally finds me and he said, hey, enjoy this. It's really cool. And he said, I never want to get beat unless it's by a true champion. And he said, the Texas Longhorns tonight were true champions. Congratulations. Huh. And that's really cool. Right. So all this is going on. And then you walk in there and I'm seeing these guys. And the first thing you see is all these young guys that are the happiest moment of their lives. Because this is, this is as good as it gets. That's right. And, and by the way, they're in Los Angeles. So in Los Angeles. it might get a little better even for the and, rest of the night. And they're exhausted. Yeah. So the old coach in me puts the damper on them, which you remember by saying, we sang a couple of times. And I said, how cool it was to have you and Matthew and Roger and Rexley in here. And I said, but hey, thank you. This is really hard to do. Thank you for doing this for all of us. What a blast for us. And for you, what a cool moment in your life. This is as good as it gets in sports. Don't go out and mess it up tonight. Be smart. Most visible you've ever been. You're exhausted. Don't mess it up. Big town. Be things, smart. Things yeah. Things fast there. Come on. Come on. Just be smart. And then I, I love my granddad more than anybody in my life. My granddad was the coolest guy. I just, I, I want to be a great granddad to do for my grandkids what my granddad did for me. It's just a, the joy of my life to this day. And he told me a couple of things. Um, as he got a little bit older, one of them, he said, always do what you know is the right thing to do and you'll be okay. The second thing he said is, uh, always enjoy the moment, but use it to make the next moment better. So I'm standing there trying to think of what to say to these guys. And I thought, some of these guys won't play pro ball. And I get tired of hearing athletes at 40 and 45 and 50 talking about the state championship or the they played in high school or I got my letter or remember coach when you saw me do this almost makes you think they peaked a little early or something it does yeah. that's not the end of your yeah, life that's right so what I thought let's make this the beginning of something new and special yeah. instead of the end because this is pretty cool and it hasn't been done for 35 years around here so it's going to be talked about a lot but be a better husband. Make it be a better father. Make it be a better person and citizen. And and uh, it was interesting that this is the 10th year reunion for the Notre Dame game this year. So many of those kids said, we thought you were nuts when you said it. Of course. And now that we're married. Who's this old guy? And we have our children. Yeah. It's really coming back to us. And then the coolest thing, Lance, and, and I know we're closing here. Uh, we stayed up all night with a lot of boosters and the lost odds and the NCAA and let me just tell you before you say this, half of that team ended up back at Matthew's house that night. Oh, I'm sure I don't so, want to hear, I don't want to know so any of that. I, I, no, no, no. I, I thought I thought that would reassure you that they were in oh, safe yeah. hands. Oh yeah, no, it was great hands. I'm glad you were there. Let's put it that way. So I'm sitting there, I finally go to bed. It's about six o'clock, and I was kind of watching ESPN eat their words about how SC is the best team ever and we had no chance and all that. And the phone rings and Sally reaches over and gets the phone, it's President Bush. And it's 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock in D.C. And he says, can I talk to Mac? And she says, Mac, it's Preston Bush. And I was kind of being cool. And I said, I right, tell him I'm busy. And she says, Mac Brown, you need to answer this. So, <laughs> so I took the phone, and he said the coolest thing to me. He said, Coach, congratulations. And he said, you never know if you're the best president. You never know if you're the best father. You never know if you're the best husband. But you have the best football team in the country. And it's based on the number of wins and the way you played. 
and it is not in question. Congratulations. That's and cool. I said, that's pretty cool. And he said, and you need to get to D.C. as fast as you can. So I said, okay, Mr. President, I got one question to ask you. You go to bed early. Which he does. It was really late. Right. You didn't even see the game, did you? He said, okay, I'll be honest. He said, with 9.42 left when they went up by 12, I went to bed because right. it was way late for me. Wow. And he said. Good for you to, to, to call it. And he said, I couldn't sleep. I rolled over and I rolled back over. I went down to my ESPN room by myself. I lit up a cigar and I saw the last five minutes of the game. So, yes, <laughs> I saw you win the game. And then it was so funny, the next Monday, Vince leaves for the NFL, and so things are changing. You're out recruiting, and you don't have time to enjoy it. And then on Valentine's Day, we went to the White House. And to take your team to the White House is the coolest thing ever. Right. You've been there. I mean, it, yep. that means Texas you, team, Texan president. Best it gets. Yeah. Those kids all, when you recruit them, Never dreamed of being in the White House, but that that's what they want. So I was sitting there with the president and the first lady and Sally sitting out in the front row with all the fans and kids are walking down the steps of the White House and I see she's just bawling and screaming. And so I walk up with the president, we give him the jersey and shake the hands and he stays an hour and a half and talks to every kid there. So after it's over, I said, Sally, what's wrong with you? She <laughs> said, it just hit me. How cool this is. Six weeks later. To see those kids yeah. with the president of the United States at the White House. But it did because we were too busy. Wow. We were just too busy. Huh. And it kind of hit me at the same time. Great stories. Coach, thank you. Thank you Thanks for, for having me here. on. Yeah. Appreciate it's, you. We'll do it again. Absolutely. It's part one. That's part what one. I always say. This is part one. Like least, Guys like you, you can talk for a long time. So then you just have to say, these aren't goodbyes. This is like the end of segment one, and then we'll pick up in a, another year or two. I like it. Thanks okay. for having me on. Thank you, Coach. Thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like, uh, like I said at the top of the show, if you have anything you want to say, if you have a suggestion, please. God knows I need suggestions. Um, or questions or concerns or criticisms or whatever let me know send me an email send it to the forward podcast at we do sport.com i know it's long i know it's a little confusing the forward podcast at we do w-e-d-u sport singular.com the forward podcast at we do sport.com 